Hello, everyone. Welcome to the second episode of Cameron's Baseball Talk. On today's show, we have a very special guest, the co-host of Blue Jay Central, Joe Sadal. Joe, how are you today? Very good, Cameron. Thanks for having me. No problem. Thank you for coming on. It's a really big honor to have you. Um, so I was doing a little research on you, and we actually found that you p- were a former MLB player as well. Uh, do you have like a favorite memory or big memory from your time in the MLB? Well, I got four different stints in the major leagues after a long minor league career, Cameron. And um, you know, when I when I reflect back now, and it's much easier after you're done your playing career. So I've been able to do that for a number of years now. But the first few things, and I don't know if there's any particular order, but the first few things that stick out for me in terms of vivid memories, first one is my first big league call-up. I was in AAA Ottawa playing for the Lynx, and I got called up with the Expos, who at the time were playing in Pittsburgh, so I flew to Pittsburgh and made my major league debut at Three River Stadium against the Pirates, so certainly that call-up and just being called into the office was a, was a thrill that I'll never forget, and then once I got up, my first major league hit was not too long later against Frank Tanana, and it was at the Big O in Montreal, and uh, that's very memorable, of course, everybody remembers the first major league hit, and then I hit one and only one major league home run and that was in a Tigers uniform and I hit it at Tiger Stadium and the most special part about that was that I grew up here in Windsor, Ontario as a Tigers fan right across the border from Detroit and went to a lot of games at Tiger Stadium as a kid so it was truly a dream come true to wear the Tigers uniform but then yeah to get my only one and only major league home run at Tiger Stadium and it happened to be an awful old teammate of mine Jeff Vassero who I had played with with the Expos. So those three stand out for me. All right. Now, after your MLB career, you went into a role as a broadcaster. Um, when did you realize that you wanted to become a broadcaster in general, like even for the Jays or just in general? Like, when did you realize you wanted to become one? <laughs> I chuckle when you ask that question because I'm not so sure I ever wanted to be a broadcaster. And it, the way it went down, it was it was very strange. My wife, Tamara, and I have four children, and we lost our youngest son Kevin at 14 years of age to cancer and I had been working after my career over in Detroit for the Tigers I had offers to manage in the minor leagues and instruct and do things once my playing career was over but I said no to them all because I had opted to come home from playing and retire from playing to to be home more with my wife and family and be dad and be able to be around the house and do more I was going back to school part-time and I was working for the Tigers. They had offered me, they said, why don't you just come over and help out during batting practice? It keeps you involved in the game. I just did it for home games, so it was perfect. I went over there in the afternoon for batting practice and helped out in the cage and on the field, and then I literally drove back home at about 5.30, 6 o'clock, and I was able to get back home to Windsor here for my kids' games and practices. I was coaching some of my daughters and son's teams. So it worked out great post-career. Now, when you when you say broadcasting, the, the strange part about that is when, when our son passed away, I got an email from Jerry Howarth, my radio partner, and I didn't know, I knew who Jerry was at the time, I didn't know him personally, and he knew who I was. When the Blue Jays would come to Detroit and I was helping out with batting practice, I would say hello to him on the field, just because I knew who he was, the legendary voice of the Blue Jays, and he knew who I was just because I was Canadian and I had played in the big leagues a little bit. Nothing more than a hello on the field, but he dropped me an email and uh, just expressing his condolences at the loss of our son and um, just said his thoughts are are with us and our family. And when I replied to him to thank him for his thoughts, I I thanked him, but at the end of the email, I, I said, look forward to seeing you when the Blue Jays come to Detroit. I think it was going to be in June. And then 
my email for some reason I included a very last small part and it said, or maybe in the broadcast booth one day. And I don't know to this day why I put that, but I'm sure Jerry would tell you the same thing. Like he just, he was taken aback and I got a reply from him, I think in a minute or two. And he said, how about right now? Because that was when his partner was Jack Morris and he just stepped aside to go back home and, and to Minnesota to be near his family a little bit more. So the Sportsnet 590 fan was actively pursuing a replacement for him. So he gets me in touch with the program director, and to make a very, very long story short, I end up down in Florida doing a few spring training games, and I was offered the job. So I was Jerry's partner on the radio. <laughs> that is uh, an amazing story there. And now you're a part of Blue Jay Central, like I said earlier, introducing you. How's that going so far with you? I love it. You know, when I when I started in the radio booth, I was also fortunate enough to be able to fill in on TV at times when Pat Tabler stepped away on vacation days or whatever, and I was with Buck Martinez, so I kind of got my feet wet in the TV part of it too, which is a whole different animal, and uh, it was just great to get that experience. I was grateful to get that because after doing four years on radio, and I think the radio part of it was great training for TV, because the radio part of it, you don't have to necessarily worry about your physical presence and looking in the camera and, and covering over highlights and things like that. You can go at your own pace and mix comments in here and there. But it was great training just to learn broadcasting because I'd never done it. I didn't go to broadcasting school. I mean, as a former player, of course, I did a lot of interviews over the years, but that was my only experience. So I thought that was uh, great training to move over to the TV side, but there's no better training than actually doing it. So I was grateful to be able to get... I think it was about a dozen games for the first couple of years there where I'd fill in. So the transition to TV when that job became available, it worked out perfectly because I was somewhat experienced in it and um, around the Blue Jays and the same team that I had known now very well after doing it for four years. So my audition went well and I was offered the job and uh, Jamie and I have hit it off and we really enjoy the show. That's an amazing story there. So why don't we jump into some news with regards to the coronavirus, some updates um, going around the league, like when the league's going to come back, obviously pay cuts a big one. So why don't we just jump into that right now, if that's okay? Yeah, it's a, it's a very difficult time for everybody in the world, let alone the sports world. And I think that's the most difficult thing. We kind of get consumed into the sports thing because some sports are coming back now, and we all hope that that does happen. But you almost have to take a step back, too, and understand still where we are. So, yes, it'd be a great thing. We all hope it does happen. Unfortunately, this is bringing back, for baseball anyway, this for me is just bringing back a lot of memories of the 94 strike that I was a part of as, a, as an Expos player up at the big league in 93. And then I came to spring training in 94, and that's when they were going to use replacement players. And the point I'm getting to is it became a labor issue. And right now it's feeling more like a labor issue than it is a pandemic issue. And that's really too bad. We certainly hope it doesn't become that. We're still early in the process here of the two sides negotiating, but the virus is one thing, and there are a lot of health and safety protocols, obviously, that they're going to have to deal with to get baseball back on the field. We all certainly hope that that is going to get taken care of by the health professionals. Now, the second part, of course, is getting the owners and players to agree on the terms, and that's where it becomes a labor issue, and it just, it, it's been going on for years. It's never fun. It's never easy. It hasn't started pretty. We can just only hope that over the course of the next week or so we get much better news and there's some sort of an agreement so that both sides realize that everyone needs baseball on the field yeah so why don't we actually start with some maybe a possible sign 
with uh, and it goes to the KBL, the Korean baseball, and obviously their season came back. Does that show any signs that the MLB return is possible? It isn't. It can come back. Yeah, I think it certainly does, and I'm sure Major League Baseball is keeping an eye on that, and they have kept an eye on that. Now, obviously, a very far different region of the world, and when you're talking about the virus and all, but if they can get to a point where they're feeling comfortable with the spread of the virus being controlled here in the U- U.S. and Canada, and in the U.S. particularly, we're not sure about Canada yet. The Blue Jays never are going to play at home, but yeah, I think they look around and they look abroad. The one thing I have noticed, I haven't followed it really closely, but one thing I've noticed in the Korean League is I've been reading about the rash of injuries in particular to pitchers and that's one of my concerns coming back here because if you think about Major League Baseball players they finished the 2019 season they had a full off season to train and prepare for spring training they ramped up for several weeks and right around the middle of March they just got shut down and now everyone's pretty well been at home I'm sure guys are trying to get creative with their training methods whether they're position players or pitchers but especially for pitchers and that's what spring training's for is really more than anything is for pitchers to build up their workloads and their arm strength and their endurance to start a season so they're going to be shut down here for a few months and have to ramp up again so this is it's uncharted waters for any pitcher and how they navigate those waters is going to be very interesting and I think each team and each pitching coach is going to have to work very closely with each pitcher as an individual because everybody's different their bodies are different which the, the workloads that they can handle are different so it's going to be very interesting it'll be a very difficult tedious job for pitching coaches to watch their pitchers closely and I know they do a lot of individual testing on guys whether it's you know just stressors where they can see if, if maybe they should be shutting down a little bit and those are the things you're going to have to watch for based especially on what we've seen in Korea yeah and now I actually asked Jamie this question on the first episode of Cameron's Baseball Talk and I want to ask you this now that we're getting more updates on the MLB returns and that stuff it's if or when the MLB does return what can we see happen with the season people are saying it mainly will go to a shorter season but like maybe to 80 games or so, or could we see like still a long season, but again, a shorter off season? Well, I think it's going to depend on when the two sides can come to an agreement. That will be a factor because as we speak, the, the word is they're shooting for that early July start to a season. Now, if negotiations linger and linger, that could get backed up by a week or two weeks and now you're almost shrinking the number of games that they potentially could play. Now, they could increase the number of games based on what their original plan was just by maybe mixing in more doubleheaders or whatever the case may be. My concern with going too long, and I, I, I think just earlier on in this, they were talking about maybe going deeper past October and playing into November, possibly December, if they had to. That's one thing I really do not want to see, and the reason I don't want to see it or my concern about that is again, you're going now deep into, so you're going to play a very unique 2020 season. It's very unique, and it always will be called that, but I think going into 2021, you're going to almost hamper some things there because now players, again, are going to get a shortened off season, and I don't think that's ever a good thing. And I've talked to many players that have played deep into October and into playoffs and World Series, and they've said that the off season is very different. You're delayed by like a few weeks, and you get to spring training, and it, it's just different because your body's not where it should be just yet. We saw the Boston Red Sox this spring training, or last year after 
the World Series, and they were saying that they were taking their guys along so slowly and almost too slowly. So it's really hard to judge. Point being is it really alters the routines of players, particularly pitchers in the offseason. So I don't want to see it go that deep. And then, of course, the other major concern is possibly another wave of this virus. So I would love to see them get going by the 1st of July and play whether it's an 80 or maybe 90 to 100 right in their game schedule. But more importantly than anything, play a schedule that's fair to everyone, but then the postseason is what is what is very critical. And maybe you increase that. Maybe increase the number of teams to make it a little bit more competitive for more teams. Mm-hmm. Now, actually, I want to stick on the thought of the postseason since we're already talking about the regular season. And that's what we can see in the postseason. And what I mean by that is... Could the divisional rounds be moved to, like, let's say a be- from a best of five to a best of three, and the championship rounds as well get shorter, like the World Series and the AL and NL championship series? Yeah, I wouldn't want to see the championship series in the NL or AL or the World Series get shortened. I think because those are so important, the World Series obviously important, and the championship series determining the winner in your league, I think in fairness to all, that should be a seven-game series, so I don't want to see them compromise time because they're in a rush to finish things by making those short series for sure i love those to be seven game series but division series i don't like five and i mean even extra wild cards if they had to and maybe instead of i still mind the single game wild cards but i two out of three that they had talked about would be fine too if you add more teams and you can get that done relatively quickly uh, I think that'd be exciting because it's going to give more of an opportunity to more teams and more fan bases to be excited down the stretch, and that's always a great thing. All right, and now I want to ask you a little bit of your own personal opinion. It's about the pay cuts, and the and what I mean by that is, what's your opinion on players taking that uh, extra pay cut? I've been hearing if games are played in empty stadiums. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a former player. Maybe I'm biased, but I think what uh, what they're doing already should be enough. I, I consider the players as salaried employees, and um, they make their salary based on a 162-game schedule, and what they've already agreed to is by prorating their salary for the number of games played, whether they played 70 or 80 or 90 or 100, however many they play, they'll get paid based on that, and I think that's what's fair. So that's where this is getting very sticky right now with the owner's proposal back to the players, and it'll be very interesting to see what the players come back with. But I would caution again, it's despite the fact that they don't have a lot of time, this is not like a collective bargaining agreement where you have months to work on things. This is something where the time frame is so short, they need to get something done. But still, I believe both sides are at two far ends, and hopefully with some good communication and maybe a little give and take from both sides, they can meet some sort of common ground to get baseball going, and obviously the sooner the better. And my last question for you, based on the uh, coronavirus, is with the government of Canada putting down that travel restriction due to this pandemic, uh, what does that mean for the Blue Jays, of course, in terms of where they would play? Would they be playing, let's say, in Florida at their spring training ballpark in Dunedin, or would they be playing at their affiliate stadium like in Buffalo or New Hampshire? Well, it's a very good question because that's not going to be determined until we hear from the government officials, right? Until they open up the border, I can't see games being played in Toronto now. Are they going to make an exception for professional team? I don't see that, but things can change quickly. We've noticed that throughout all of this. Things can change for the better quickly. Things can change for the worse quickly. If the border is opened up, I think it changes that question entirely. But if not... Yeah, I could certainly see possibly using a Buffalo stadium. It's almost like a little big league stadium anyway. 
Dunedin is a logical possibility only because that's where they train and they're used to. The difference for me is it's not necessarily a major league stadium like Buffalo in terms of being equipped for cameras and TV and replay and all those other things. Um, the other one I did hear is could they possibly share with the Rays Tropicana Field down in St. Pete? That could be an option as well. I almost see that as a better option if it's feasible. So if they can find those neutral site type places for teams that cannot play in their own home. All right, and so now I want to actually stick on the topic of the Blue Jays, of course, coming into an if or when possibility for the Jays to return. It And what I want to ask you first is, um, what are some differences between this year's team compared to last year's team and the uh, previous years? So, like, what I mean by this year is, like, the 2019 compared to, like, the 2018-2017 team. Well, I think, too... When you're looking at 2020, what they did, they addressed a dire need, and that was starting pitching. We saw what happened in 2019. They struggled on the mound, and it was going to be uh, a big issue or a big problem going into that offseason to address it. And I love the way they addressed it, because if you think about the last few years, what they've been doing is turning the roster over, and it was a much needed thing despite a lot of people and fans probably not necessarily liking it a lot. It's very hard to say goodbye to some of your star players, but when some of your star players are A, getting older and the performance is declining, it's time to turn that over. So it's not an easy thing to do, but it's something that's necessary. So that's what they've done, but I think especially last offseason when they addressed the pitching need, it was critical because I've always been a fan of, of starting pitching, and when I say a fan of it, I just I realize the importance of it. There are not a lot of great, great starting pitchers in the game. When you have them, you have a chance to win every day they're out there. That, that's the guy that gives you a chance. So what they did, of course we can mention Injun Ryu by signing the big free agent contract. That one surprised probably a lot of people, and it's great to see the Blue Jays going down that road because they're looking to help their team right now but also over the course of the next few years when they're hoping to see themselves compete a little bit better. But they acquired a guy like a Chase Anderson, good, solid major league pitcher. Tanner Roar, another one. I use the terms good, solid major league pitcher. Those are guys that you can put out there that you trust. And unfortunately for the Blue Jays, they haven't been able to do that a whole lot over the last couple of years. So it's an area that they improved. They should give the team a chance more often every fifth day or every night out and Charlie Montoya writes that lineup card out, he can feel probably a little bit better entering that dugout to start a game now when he's got some of these veteran arms on the mound for him. All right, and sticking with, actually with the topic of pitchers and new signings and that stuff, um, with the signings of guys like Hinjin Ryu, Travis Shaw, and a former World Series champion in Joe Panic uh, this past offseason, uh, what can these players bring to the team to help out? Well, I think anytime you bring in veterans that have had success, and uh, I especially refer to Ryu and Panic when I say that, guys look around, they watch, they watch how they go about their business, they watch how they handle the game, they watch how they how they practice. If it's a pitcher like Ryu, how does he throw his bullpen sessions? The pitches he throws, you can learn so much by watching, let alone talking to players. Joe Panic for me was one this spring that in talking to him and you know, getting to know him just a little bit and hearing from some of his teammates what they had to say about him, just a class act. And when I say that, this this is a guy that takes a lot of pride in the batter's box by putting the ball in play. And that's an interesting element these days because, as we know, strikeouts are going through the roof, record levels at Major League Baseball. And it's been an issue for the Blue Jays. So this is a team that has had a lot of swing and miss, a lot of strikeouts. I think what I saw in 
spring training over the course of a couple of weeks, this guy was heading north with the team, and he's going to be a big part of it because that's a nice bat to have in the lineup. He doesn't have to be a star guy at the top of the lineup. I'm not sure where he'd fit in. But just the ability to put the ball in play, have a good at bat, because when you do that, you put pressure on the pitcher rather than the pressure putting the pitcher putting pressure on hitters. So I think it's a much needed bat. And guys around the lineup, I think especially, should be able to watch what he's doing. Now you don't have to be the exact same type of hitter. So if you're a Teoscar or a Gritchick or one of those guys, you're not the same type of hitter, but maybe you can learn from the approach that he's put a nice little career together his approach and what he's trying to do at the plate and guys can feed off that and improve it in many ways and of course the blue jays have one of the youngest teams in baseball right now and they actually have shown they are ready to compete uh from the previous years who are some players that just stood out to you and uh will be a key factor for this upcoming season you know the easy answer and the obvious answer would be the vladdies and Bo and cabbage we're looking for those guys to continue to take steps forward but I think a real interesting wild card for me and somebody that I really like the way he plays is Lord Escurial Jr. And he had his issues in the infield last year and they moved him to the outfield and I think he found some comfort out there and it helped him overall. Played a decent left field, but also did, does a nice job of the bat. And I think that he can be a, a very impact, a big impact bat in that lineup. The problem for Lourdes is has been staying on the field. He's had some injuries in his career, so that and that's that's a tough one for any player, and it's hard to predict. But for him to have the impact that I'm hoping he can in this Blue Jays lineup, he's going to have to stay healthy and be able to play 140-plus games. All right, and Joe, one last question before I let you go. Uh, what advice can you give to kids and young adults who want to do, want to do what you do? I think the best advice for me, and it's kind of like a, a little bit of a life motto um, for young broadcasters, would be to be yourself. And what I mean by that is don't try to be somebody that you're not. Don't try to be somebody else when you're speaking on the radio or when you're on TV in front of a camera. Be yourself because we're all different. We all have different personalities and characteristics that are special to you. For example, you might answer a question very differently than me. It doesn't mean one's better than the other. But for you, I would say don't try to be you know some major league announcer. Be who you are and be the best version of yourself because I think that's what's going to help you to be the best version of yourself. Sometimes you can get caught. I think watching and listening to others is the best thing in the world. It's almost like a player. Like how, how do you learn? What a better way to learn than to, to watch people that are really good at it and then work at that craft? Well, it's the same as a broadcaster. So you watch people and how they go about their business. You ask questions. You ask for tips. But most importantly is to be yourself. Don't try to be that person that you're asking the question to. Be who you are. But I'm a big, um, I've always been a big prepared person, whether it's in school and studying for tests or exams or whatever the case may be. It, it goes all the way to my job now. So when we're getting ready for a Blue Jays Central show, I do my prep work. I go down on the field. I talk to players and coaches and whatever the topics Jamie and I are going to talk about that night. I know where I want to go with my thoughts, but I'll, I might talk to somebody, get Randall Gritchick's opinion on what I'm about to say about him and, and see what he thinks. And yeah, does, does he agree with me or not? If it's, it's okay if he doesn't. But again, now I'm going to go back and I'm going to go on that show and I'm going to be myself and present it the way I think is best. And that's not me trying to be somebody else. I'm going to express my opinion and I'm going to do it in my manner because that's who I think I'm going to be best at 
is trying to, to be myself. So I think that's the best thing for young broadcasters is be yourself. And I have to remind myself this every time too is have fun doing it. Because Jamie and I can have a lot of fun on the air, and there are days when, you know, you get timelines and you're trying to rush and get ready for a show. It's like, geez, I'm not really ready for this topic yet, but you can really lighten things up by, by having fun with it, because ultimately, we're talking about baseball, and isn't that a wonderful thing? Yes, it is. Joe, thank you so much for joining us on Cameron's Baseball Talk. We really do appreciate you taking the time out of your day to do this. You're very welcome, Cameron. My pleasure. Guys, that was Joe Sadell, co-host of Blue Jay Central. I'm Cameron Capobianco, Cameron's Baseball Talk. We hope you did enjoy it, and we'll catch you in the next episode. See ya.